Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey everyone, today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in engrave.io shop with the code REALVISION. Now to the top analysis of today's markets. Is the option market sending a bearish signal? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jem Carson, founder of Kai Volatility. Hi there. How you doing? Hey, good. Good to be back. How, How have you been? I'm, I'm a little chilly, but okay. But I'm guessing not as cold as you guys are. Yeah, it's Chicago. funny. It's funny. I just got back from Houston, Texas. My parents live down there and I got stuck there. And it's not because of the negative 10 degrees in Chicago. It's because of the 31 degrees in Houston, Texas, because that is way, a way tougher thing to deal with than the negative 10 way in Chicago. Tougher. We're used to it in Chicago. We we got it all worked out, but uh, that may sound brutal to people, but yeah, no, Houston was a mess. Cars running into each oh. other, planes unable to get off the, the tarmac. Understandably so, right? It's not supposed to be that cold. It's <laughs> all through the South. My my brother was saying that there's a ski place to go to in the Carolinas. Believe it or not, there is a ski place in the Carolinas. And they've just got a ton of snow. And of course, people in the Northeast and Vermont are sort of praying to get some. So everything's turned upside down, but yeah. And we're in for it for a little while. It looks like, so um, it's crazy. I saw them say in Texas, conserve your energy and electricity. And I was like, wait a minute, that happens in like the brutal heat wave in the summer. <laughs> they're, they're screwed on both sides here. They can't get your break. Yeah. No, the, the houses aren't made for it. The, the roads aren't made for it. Uh, you know, nothing. It's uh it, it was quite, quite a mess, but. Uh, all right. Well, we're hoping but, for all our viewers who may be freeze in, in Texas and other Southern areas that you guys get some relief pretty soon. Um, so if we, if we take a look at, it's, it's sort of interesting. We take a look across the market, stocks down across the board, uh, small caps bearing the brunt of it, coming back a tiny, tiny bit here at the end, but down about 1%, S&P and NASDAQ about a half a percent. Uh, we saw the 10-year bond yield firmly back above 4%, do- US dollar up, crypto down. You know, the last time you were on, we should, I we should have rolled the clip. We should have cut a clip from it. But the last time you were on, you flagged mid-January as a really important window when we might see a change in market dynamics. In fact, you talked about January 17th as being a really important day. And it looks like things are playing out exactly as you had anticipated. Walk walk us through what you are seeing and, and what you think is going on here with markets. So... You hear all the narrative and, uh, you know, it's because of this and earnings and this this number. But the reality is the overwhelming majority of day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month, I would argue quarter-over-quarter movement has nothing to do with any of that, or at least very little to do with it. Um, It is 
structural flows that uh, particularly this time of year, right? November, December, January, February um, are, are very big and, and meaningful and different for different reasons and easier to predict during this time frame because of that, because those flows are uh, things that we can understand and measure and, and uh, you know, take into consideration. And they were bigger than even in this macro environment where, where flows and things are moving on from a liquidity perspective quite aggressively, even bigger than those. So they, they overwhelm those, those things. Um, and that's what we saw coming all the way back in September, by the way. So September, we, we call the October-November decline to the day, November 1 kind of reversal rally to January 17th. So it's not just calling this January 17th. We've been calling all right. from there and to the dates, by the way. And that, I'm not saying that to kind of brag or to, but this is the power I'm trying to display to people of flows and to understand these things is, is critical to, to managing money in any form over any period, of, in my personal view, of, of multi-year, you know, maybe even five-year performance. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think you everybody gets so focused the on the other minutiae yeah, you um, have been saying that. You've been tracking, yeah. you know, sort of like opening the window, the door for us and and talking about these flows. Jimmy, you said something really important. And it's funny, I was thinking about this because I think people are trying to hold multiple things in their head at the same time. So I was thinking about you talking about January 17th. And again, like this is multiple times you've been on with us, you know, predicting almost to the day that these things happen. And when you're talking about flows, you just call them structural flows. And you said something that was in my mind. How do we balance that with what we hear about when we're tracking global liquidity, right? Central bank global liquidity. And I, I, I you know, ha, are, are, are they different things? Are they forces that are working in opposition of each other? Or do they work together at the same time? And I think you just said something that they that these structural flows that you watch were even bigger and overwhelmed what I'm guessing you meant by this sort of central bank global liquidity. Is that correct? Can you talk about that a little bit? Because I think it's so important. Yeah, they're not always in opposition, Maggie, right? They can be together. The point here is a the market over any meaningful short time is just a matter of buyers and sellers. It's a, it's a voting machine. We've talked about this, right? It is a number of people who want to buy versus the number of people who want to sell at what scale. And if you approach it that way, that's where the rubber meets the road. If you don't, too many people divorce themselves from that simple fact. And it's funny, like 99% of what you hear on CNBC or Bloomberg or wherever, right, is not about supply and demand. It's about, right, some narrative, some, uh, you know, what's the economy doing? What are earnings doing? What are, you know, those yeah, may have a secondary like, tertiary come on and effect say, on demand. Don't get right. Me wrong. Retail sales today, right? That's what people are are, are saying is but causing. Tell me, but tell me, how does retail sales affect buying and selling in the market? Other than what opinion somebody might have on retail. Now, do those things matter over a year, multi-year, uh, you know, three-year, four-year? Sure. But those things can change over that period too. And there's reflexivity in the system that can overwhelm that between now and then anyway. So I'm not saying don't look at those things, look at them, understand them, uh, have, a, have a broad view if, you know, to back up, you know, and you know, talk about the weighing machine, which is what we're talking about now, the, the bigger picture of, of what's happening. You know, if you've got the big picture right about monetary policy dominance and the Fed put being strong in there for 30 years, 
you were a very wealthy person, right? You bought the dips in 2008 and in 2000, you were aggressive on growth. You bet on China, you did all the stuff, right? But that's the big weighing machine. And if you got that right, you won. But guess what? You also lost 70% in 2008 on the dip. You lost 70% or, you know, you know, depending on what you were in, in, in 2000, 2001. Um, so if you're betting on short-term timeframes, it's the flows that matter. It is all of the supply and demand voting machine that matters. It's liquidity. Mm -hmm. But if you're betting on 10-year outcomes, weighing machine matters, and you should focus on that stuff. And I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter, right? But that better be your time frame. And if you're going to watch it and, and feel bad when the market's down 70% and not pay attention to flows, then you know, that, that, you know, you're, you're, you're playing the wrong game. Um, both matter. But again, uh, there's a lot of path and noise in between here and 10 years from now. And the weighing machine could be very, very, uh, come very, very different outcomes. Yeah. Uh, you know, just think of tech bubble, right? You know, we went to insane valuations before we dropped, you know, 90% in, in tech. Um, yeah, you might have been right about tech being overvalued, but were you willing to take that five-year sojourn uh, on on the, you know, getting squeezed out? And then, you know, uh, were you still in it at that point, right? So what game are you playing? Are you are you trying to bet on a weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual outcome or are you looking at 10 years 20 years 30 years and if you're betting at anything less than uh, again th there's a lot of research done on this anything less than 10 years uh, fundamentals are essentially irrelevant to your outcome hey everyone we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners we'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the real vision daily briefing Um, I think this is so hugely important. And let's face it, even even 10 years, even if you have a long time or long time horizon, long term focus, you you can't really, none of us can really afford those massive draw, drawdowns or we, or we should try to avoid them because it takes a really long time to build them back up. Nobody wants to see all the work they've done and the wealth they've accumulated evaporate. So I think it's it's really hard. To, to, to put that aside. And I think what you're talking about is something that no one tells you, right? Everybody, like none of the traditional sort of outlets or media or, or conversation really honestly focuses on this stuff. And so I think it's, it, it's incredibly important. So when you look across the structural flows that you watch so closely, what's happening? What, 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 what is the story that that's telling you that we should pay attention to? There's a lot of components. Um, let's kind of dive under the hood a bit. Um, you know, seasonality is particularly strong. We talked about this last time. Uh, and what do I mean by seasonality? The the buying pressure, which is mechanical, is very strong in November and December and into mid-January, um, as a function of uh, investment reinvestment of capital. So we've just had the market increase by 25 percent. In value again. That's you know 400, 500 trillion dollars globally of of assets, right? You can argue maybe it's not 25% for all of assets, but maybe it's 15%, right? Uh, that's that is 50, you know, depending on the math, you're doing 60 trillion dollars, right, of new money. That's got to go to back to work. Some of that goes back to work throughout the year, but the beginning of the year is a big moment, and some portion of that goes back to work then. Mm ton of open interest in the vol space in December, uh, way bigger than any other expiration because it's leaps and it's been on the, on the calendar. All these structured products are tied to end of the year. All of these things start to decay aggressively into the end of the year. 
And if the market isn't declining enough and the market is up and stable, they have a momentum factor. All the dealers who are short put short stock have to buy back that stock. Um, and time is shorter in that period because of, um, because of all the holidays, right? And all the people taking time off and things just get going. And then it's there's this end of year chase, like, oh no, uh, this is coming and I'm falling behind. I better, I better get on board. And that can be a bit of a you know cascade effect, um, and 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 uh, can cause momentum upon momentum. That really doesn't end until mid January because um, uh, you know you, it becomes weaker right as we get past the beginning of the year and as we get towards mid January, as we've seen. But but it doesn't end to mid January because January is actually the biggest options expiration for single stocks. And so there's still a lot of open interest that had to get off the board and had to get squeezed out. Uh, particularly in tech, mm. um, and and we highlighted this last time. I, a lot of people probably missed it, but this was probably one of the better opportunities. The last week or week and a half, you saw that sudden like tech was doing poorly at the beginning of the year, and then pop, it kind of popped back into that week, really until today. And the reason for that is because all that that's the that's how you can see Vana and Charm across the market. Where was the Vana Charm primarily focused in single stock tech? And that represents an opportunity too. It's not just up or down that these these flows tell you. It's where in the market are the flows and where are those mm-hmm. the, where those drivers coming. And they were in tech. And guess what? Ended today. So what's likely to happen? A resumption of the beginning trend that we just saw early in the year, and a bigger trend kind of that we that we think is coming this year, which is a reversal in that that tech versus kind of the rest of the market this year. Um, but anyway, these are kind of a, a general view now. January 17th, or it's not over yet, officially Jan 19th is the end of that options expiration. But by the time you get past Monday, this last Monday, all that weekend and all that extra time is kind of coming out aggressively. And you're getting to that last point where people are like, okay, do I want to be holding this? Do I want to be rolling my hedges? Um, Do I want to be taking this off? The majority of that Vana and Charm has come out. The reason Wednesday tends to be kind of that day, and it's not just that day. I mean, I, I... Circle down the calendar is most probable, but that doesn't mean the day before, the day after, right? right. Uh, it's not more prob- uh, also probable. Um, but the reason that day is because of expiration, and that's when these VIX options expire, and that's where the majority of the vol supply kind of starts to get dissipated. On top of that, now we've seen other um, flows coming in that are very kind of uh, loosening the vol uh, kind of uh, supply, which is a good sign for decline. As well, we you know we're waiting to see under the hood if this will happen, right? Or I'm out here talking about it for three months. You know, I'm reflexively dampening this, right? The more I'm right, people are going to be like, you know, you're letting everybody you know, in, and, and that's true, right? Because people who are smart in the market are beginning to listen and watch and and bet accordingly, and that has a reflexive effect. But you know, there also uh, has been a decent amount of uh, VIX call buying, a significant size. The last several days, as well as um, several, you know, put spreads and whatnot in the S and P, those things begin to loosen vol, and we've seen the, the vol go up broadly, particularly in the back of the curve, meaning several months out, not just kind of short dated, mm-hmm. and that is actually um, what you need to see into this decline for it eventually to continue. Um, if vol doesn't get loosened up immediately, does uh, become more off for the next several days. Um, you know, that that reduces the probabilities of an extension. Um, you know, again, markets are weak. There is a lack of positive flows to balance the macro negative flows. But that doesn't necessarily mean we're going to crash. OK, and I think that's an important thing to remember. And the more I've talked about, the more that's fall damping. I personally view that that that. Uh, 
you know, the more people position short here, right, the more likely it is to be more stair step down, vol compressing, right? That's probably the more likely scenario here for the next um, week, two weeks, I would say. Uh, a decline then could accelerate if this vol does continue. If the buyers come in, we continue to loosen the, the vol supply here. You could get a, a, a significant decline, but it's kind of like a decline with vol higher begets more. And yeah. you need to begin to see that now to see an extension, which I think is very important for people to understand. It's hard for people to watch that. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you go, you go down and the vol, particularly watch these vol markets, fixed strike vol. I, I mentioned this all the time, not just the VIX, the VIX is going up, but what's happening to fixed strike vol. And that's actually going up now, which is a very good sign for a continuation of this decline. Um, we'll see if that continues the next week. The next week is very important. If it doesn't, you know, I would expect Feb 2nd or 3rd or 4th, right after the end of the month, which has some negative kind of uh, flows potentially here as well. And then that Vonage Charm continues back for Feb a little bit. I could see a stair step situation basically with some retracement if this thing doesn't get going soon in a more meaningful way. Um, and if that were to happen, then I think next February 14th or so would be um, would be potentially more dangerous. This two-month period is very dangerous. We've been very clear that wasn't the case the last three months since November 1st. Be bullish, be uh, constructive. Now the probabilities of a decline are significantly higher, whether it happens right away here, like we're seeing, which we think mm -hmm. is you have a window here. Um, you know, you should be betting on it, uh, but be watching it carefully. And uh, you know, particularly the vol, the vol aspect of it. And if it doesn't happen here again after Feb second, you got to be constructive again till Feb fourteenth for a couple of weeks, and then try and bet on the short side again. Um, using vol here is a is a particularly interesting way to do make the bet um, because it has gotten so low a, and b because a lot of that vol supply is now starting to to wane as well. So if you see if you see that. Uh, fixed strike vol that you're talking about as they flip my madly scribbing my notes down. If you see that going up, is that, why would that happen? What are the conditions or what is the, what is causing that to go up? What is so that saying? More buyers than sellers. Right. <laughs> Again, it's that supply and demand machine. More um, buyers of yeah. fixed strike vol. A vol, right? A yes. Vol. Fixed strike vol. And vol that is vol. because they are anticipating things are going to get worse. Is that yeah, right? What, what is fixed strike vol? Fixed strike vol is the pricing of options. So if, if the pricing of options, you know, shifts up, if the, the, the implied volatility of the option chain increases, and, you know, particularly when you look not one or two days, but really further up, that is a very good sign that, that dealers are getting taken out of their, their supply. And that's a kind of a proxy for it. You can do what we do is manage and look at that dealer positioning more closely. But as a proxy of it, if it falls going higher, that means it's being bought right? Uh, and being and dealers are getting shorter, right? That's that's why it's going higher. Mm -hmm. And um, if fixed rate vol uh, starts to go higher and accelerates um, higher in any way, that can really loosen what I've called like the, the Dutch boy with his thumb yeah, in the, the dice. Yeah, the pinning, right? That you right? talked that, about. That pinning of the vol. And so structurally, the flows, supply and demand are um, are imbalanced now, and there's not as much buying pressure as we've seen significantly less. And the overhang we know is is bad from liquidity uh, on a macro scale. So with that imbalance, the vol is very important because if the vol is well supplied, people can manage that short and kind of. But if it starts to accelerate and get dangerous, right, starts things start to move more quickly, and vol itself is well supplied, it can really accelerate and get messy. 
And, and so understanding that is very important to understanding kind of the, the risk and the speed of what, what can transpire here. And the more that's supplied, it, it can hold things in place where things don't get too ugly. Mm. It can wait till we get to a point where those flows come back and things can get a little bit more. But the point here is that those positive flows that were so structurally positive for those three, you know, November, December, mid-January, two and a half months are now gone. And that's the big yeah. part that people need to see. And the structural overhang is still there. And if not, if anything getting worse, and reflexively policy is now starting to say, oh, no, markets have rallied, you know, inflation's a little hot. Um, maybe, you know, we need to keep rates higher and, you know, issue more debt and, you know, all the things that we've been talking about, which are bad liquidity wise. So um, that imbalance is worse at the end of the day. Now, how that transpires will will be a function of the ball, whether it's able to hold things at bay between now and, and and the next window in February. But again, here's your shot. Here's the window. This is the one we circled. Um, and you watch it closely. Um, and uh, it, the more buying, I will say, of uh, the big more big orders you say, see a vol coming uh, and hedges you see coming into the market, the more reflexively dangerous this market can get because it can really start to take dealers out of their vol. And I think that's something we're watching very yeah. carefully that everybody should. We're going to take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Listen, I hope anybody who is on the platform is bookmarking this and getting your notes out because this is incredibly important stuff and it's kind of giving you some knowledge and wisdom and an eye on the market that you need and you haven't had. Um, it's just fantastic. So uh, we've got some questions in here. I was thinking bloody Valentine's day. Oliver's like not a dangerous Valentine's day. I'll have to cancel the roses. That's exactly what I was thinking of. We're going to be able to remember that date. Um, some, some really good, um, some really good questions and comments. I just want to ask one more thing and it, maybe I'm asking what some people are already thinking about, but just to circle back to this relationship between these flows. So if this is the setup on the structural flow, if we see, uh, so one of one of the sort of folks that look at global liquidity, central bank liquidity is talking about China, right? Maybe China is injecting more liquidity than we thought because their economy is weaker than we thought. Hard to know what's going on, not a lot of reliable information, not easy to track what's going on with China. But if we were to see that come in, is that an offsetting an offsetting force against some of the structural flow dynamics that you just explained? How do you fit? that in the puzzle? A hundred percent. I mean, uh, you have to look at the macro liquidity picture. I, you know, you can't just sit here and assume it's bad. I mean, I've been talking about it generally, but mm -hmm. that's because of the amount of issuance that's having to happen broadly and the amount of liquidity that's being pulled out of the system. Um, the Fed uh, is, uh, you know, even at its, um, you know, it's still doing uh, QT. It's talking about uh, pausing uh, QT or slowing it down, right? Um, but it's still holding interest rates broadly where they are and still doing QT. And liquidity is also just more importantly being pulled from the system via um, the treasury. Uh, at the same time, we had a bit of a buffer. So we didn't really feel those effects as much, I would argue, um, because of reverse, you know, uh, the, the repo, right? And that facility on the short end and, and the focus on issuance on the short end. So we were able to, to source liquidity from there. Uh, the, the treasury was that we've seen again we talked about last month but the canary in the coal mine right of, of sofer and and some of the things we're seeing uh, each end of month now november december we'll see how it is here at the end of january too 
But there's internal talk about that too. That's why um, you know uh, they're talking about cooling QT because they're worried about this liquidity situation as well. You know, we're getting to a point where that liquidity, which is poor and has been cushioned by reverse repo, is kind of running its way through and eating its way through that that buffer. And and I think that's a real risk for markets from a liquidity perspective. It could get really, you could get a cliff there, right at the time some of these flows are no longer there on a, a positive, uh, you know, uh, on the positive end. Now, question to your point is, well, what does that mean for reaction function of the Fed? And are they going to create a new facility? They always seem to, right? Are they going to? It's an election year. Are they going to come stimulate again? Um, you know, for for political reasons, all of those things are important and relevant, and, and we are thinking about those and looking at them, but. Um, but the point is right now, uh, even if you assume some of those things are happening, uh, there is uh, this is a, a kind of dangerous mix, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a lot of those things very well might not happen unless the market kind of holds policymakers' feet to the fire, whether it's the Treasury or the Fed um, and, and, and you know fiscal policymakers as well. Um, my best guess is we get a decline. Again, that's what I've been saying for a couple months now. That we get a decline because there's an imbalance of supply and demand in the market, and eventually um, they're already thinking about it. Um, you know, and we'll see how fast they react. But eventually, there's a reaction for both Treasury and from the Fed and policymakers. And the bigger the decline, the more the response will be, and that will eventually, in the short term, lead to some more positive, uh, a positive shift in liquidity, and probably right as some more structural flows come back into the right. market. Right. So it's like yeah, um, these are all things happening. Sort of. You've yeah. Gotta, so you've got to watch them all, and it's correct. Really They're all balance. part of the supply and demand of the market, and you yeah. cannot divorce. Which, I know. Which you, you have to measure because... them. You can't just wave your hands at it, right? You have to think about how big are these, how big are the other flows, which one's more important, when is it coming, what's the reaction function of this one, what's the reaction function of the other. You can't just wave your hands at it and and kind of. Um, you know, bet without thinking about it. I mean, you can listen to people like myself and others and follow and, you know, uh, but, but it's, uh, yeah, this is, this is a voting machine and you got to do the polling. Right. You don't, you don't know, you don't really have a clue. You can guess, but. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's a, it's a major blind spot. And I think a lot of us are operating, trying to make these decisions and that's been a terrible blind spot. Um, So speaking of measuring, so Michael asks, how can we monitor the level of fixed strike vol? Yeah. So uh, fixed strike vol is simply uh, the easiest way to do it. It's not perfect, but is to look at, um, at the money options on the close of each day and see the look at the implied vol of that option, whether it's, you know, generally 30 days is a good proxy, but you can do whatever uh, at the money option you want and then see where that implied vol was yesterday and then see what happened to that implied vol. Now that doesn't take into consideration term structure. It doesn't take into consideration, you know, the skew and what's happening to puts versus calls but it will give you a general proxy of what happened to the level of the whole surface, right? What, what has happened to the volatility surface? Has it gone down or has it gone up? Um, you know, and, and how much? Uh, that will really give you a good sense. Now, whether you look at 30 days or 60 days or, you know, whatnot will change. And the best thing is to look at all of them, right? Is to look at your volatility surface, which is what we do, right? And know where all your implied balls and then plot them over one another and see how things are moving and do it in real time as opposed to daily, but there, there are basic ways to do this um, at home as well. I, I, I love the way you explain it. Cause I, I don't know about everyone listening, but I'm like, this is like telling us like, Oh, you can just dive in and read this ancient Greek <laughs> writing and just, <laughs> and just see it all like that. And we all know that it's, it's a lot more complicated than that, <laughs> but, um, but 
but we appreciate you at least trying to make it accessible to us. Um, so, wow. Okay. We're getting so many questions in as we always do. Uh, let's see, wait, there was one about tech. Okay. Elias, are you expecting a reversal of big cap tech specifically or also mid and small? So, yeah, uh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, the, the one, the ones that are option centers are the bigger tech, right? So the positive effect that we really saw for the last week and a half week um, was really in big tech. So that kind of supportive flows that kind of kept, gave you a second shot to get back in and short it relative to the rest um, uh, was, uh, was a, in big tech. So that's now disappearing. So I would uh, assume a resumption of the trend, but I think the, the weakness broadly would be broader, so not just large cap tech. Uh, and the weakness, in my view, is not a function of options, positioning, and flows. It's a function of, um, you know, broader liquidity issues that we're starting to see. Um, and uh, and again, I think a resumption of the trend. I think the this is a more of a macro call. Um, you know, we believe that, that higher for longer is coming and that the short-term counter trend move that we've seen very briefly the last several months um, of, uh, okay, uh, this, you know, deflation is here, you know, uh, long end of the curve is, is coming back down is, is played its course, you know, run its course and was more a function of flows. And that now we start to see a steepening of the curve. Uh, yes, the Fed may pivot, but we believe if the Fed pivots, if anything, that the back of the curve will continue to stay strong. And uh, it will be counterintuitive for people, but we could really see, um, again, we've said this before, but higher uh, tenure by the end of um, this year than it has been. So breaking above five and maybe even heading towards six um, at the end of this year, which is very out of, uh, you know, uh, beyond what people are talking about broadly this right now. And I think that's a good sign. I think we see a resumption of the long-term trend, to, which is longer-term yields higher. Um, it won't be a straight line, but I think that duration um, issue will broadly hit tech. And uh, we believe actually this one will be worse than it was in 2020. Uh, two in 2021 when it started, um, because now people are again uh, not positioned for it once again. So the positioning uh, is also allowing for that to to occur again now. Uh, some of these are so big, and we have like a minute left. I'm trying to think. I'm just going to say, if your question's not asked, roll up again because we walk through this, and and Jem is kindly taking us on this journey of opening our eyes to what's going on. And there are a lot of big questions, and it's kind of hard to wrap your head around. So I like this question from Jeremy. If everything is expected to go down, won't that be a signal that things will actually rise? It's interesting because this is like what's been beat into everyone's head, um, from, kind of like from a from a sentiment perspective. Um, yeah, you have to, Maggie, you have to remember um, my calls are uh, to a great extent because they're out of the central narrative. Yeah. Um, because the positioning is all t uh, not in line with what I'm saying. I mean, it, it's the opposite of what I'm saying. Um, it opens up the opportunity. Um, so if you think my views are consensus, you're, you're just, I'm just on your channel too much. Uh, my views are not consensus. I don't think um, they are. <laughs> yeah, and and so uh, you know, if you look at investment levels and and broad allocation to tech and all the things that are you know signs of you know contrarian indicators opposite, they're pretty bullish, and that's what happens. The market's up twenty five percent in a year, and everybody starts kind of drinking the Kool Aid again. Um, you know, uh, so so yeah, I, I would agree with that sentiment that reflexively, you know, when everybody is pointing to X, the odds are higher for Y, but uh, 
again, just because you're hearing me on every channel that you're listening to doesn't mean it's consensus. Yeah. Um, even on this channel, I can tell you it's not consensus, but that's what we do here is try to bring people on with different views, understand what they're looking at and how can we put it together and time frame, right? We talked about that in the beginning. If you have a 10-year time frame and you're listening to someone who has a 10-year time frame, this is a different conversation. Um, Luke said, thank you for your humility, experience, and knowledge. And we second that. Um, do you apply some of the same thing in the oil market? He was asking how you're thinking about oil in the short term, meaning 2024. Do you look at that market? Yes, we do. And, and we've and been do pretty- the same- apply? Yeah. I mean, listen, there's a broad way of how to manage things is you need to have, again, we talked about, you know, the, the 30, 40 years prior, you need to have a secular view and a macro weighing machine view of what's happening from a liquidity perspective, right? It's all, it's still what's happening in the bigger, uh, bigger perspective to, to markets and liquidity. Um, but then you need to also look at positioning and flows uh, in the short term in the context of that. And, and the best trades are when the positioning is it's contrarian to get back in line with a secular trade. That's when the big money is made, right? When the two things align. And so we've been very uh, adamant uh, about the strength of oil, but not in the way that people think, not in a, in a convex way. We've been very clear that the trade has been to be short oil puts. We've been very clear about that, as opposed to our view um, to be long gold calls, right? Very different, both are bullish, but in very different ways, betting on different parts of the distribution. And we've been very right about the oil trade, not just from a, a, a broad supported mean, but the, the fact that vol went very bit early on for oil and really has gotten, has starting to really come down and collapse. Uh, and, and so you've really benefited from that trade. Whereas the opposites happened from gold. Gold has really moved much more aggressively in the last year or so. Um, and, and vol has actually turned to call skew and call, vol has gone up into that move. So a very different type of move for different assets and very important to understand kind of uh, what's happening. Oil, uh, which was very much, everybody was talking about supply constraints and all the issues that we've highlighted in 2022, um, you know, uh, people are late 22 after the move happened in oil up, right? And so it became uh, cyclically too, uh, everybody was positioned too much for that. What was a secular, what we believe is, is a secular move. Um, it led to uh, a move back down in oil and, a, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, kind of people falling out of favor, right? Um, everybody kind of talking about this China story and deflation and all the things that, that all the narratives we know, um, that was a, a great time to really kind of load the boat again. And, and here we go. And it's for the same reasons we've talked about, right, that there's a reason there's a put in this market from a macro weighing machine uh, focus. Uh, all the things that happened in the in the in the 60s and 70s are happening again for the same reasons, and 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 again we can go through them. But geopolit, you know, we're going through bifurcation of the world economy. There's a new cold war happening, and there's a new there's a new hot war happening as a function of that. Uh, much like the cold war that started, uh, you know, and really gained credence in the 60s and 70s, um, and and the and, and Vietnam War, which was a function of that that cold war, right? Um, the battle in Ukraine, what we're seeing in the Middle East, are all new fronts on that war, which is a, a really, uh, you know, a, a war with China, uh, for lack of, you know, China, Russia, mm -hmm. um, and, and Iran and, and that alliance. Um, and so, again, we can call it different things. We can call it war, but, but what it is is competition. And, and, and what that's leading to is more geopolitical issues, that uh, more commodity scarcity. We saw this with OPEC crisis. We've seen OPEC flexing its muscles more because it can, because there are, um, because the world economy is being divided. And that puts a floor under oil, 
right? It doesn't mean that uh, you know uh, global demand is going to go higher and push push things uh, you know in a convex way higher right away, right? But what it does mean is as oil and energy is more scarce um, and and uh, can be created to be made, made scarce because we are not in a collaborative world system. Um, gold, on the other hand, is a function of FX and and, and cross national um, flows, and that that has completely become unleashed, right, with this global conflict. And that creates, during periods like this, a great volatility for currency, for, uh, so you see it in the dollar, you see it in FX broadly, you see it in rates, and you see it in precious metals, which is a proxy for those things as well. So very different type of commodity. So we look at it through a different lens. We have, that, again, that, that weighing machine, longer outlook, volatility tends to go up for certain assets and go down for others in this type of environments. But, they, but certain assets also tend to be supported in this type of environment. That doesn't mean week over week, month over month, you bet on those outcomes. You've got to look at the, the underlying flows and positioning and then work in and out from a certain uh, side um, accordingly. So, so our view on oil, I guess that was a complicated way of addressing your, your pretty straightforward answer, which is, yes, we're broadly long-term bullish of oil and commodities uh, writ large, um, uh, you know, uh, and now that it has become fairly unpopular to be bullish of, of, mm -hmm. of oil and, and those things, we are we are even more short-term um, uh, bullish um, of oil. But again, it we will not. That does not mean that it will go in a straight line. You will continue to see uh, stair steps up and broadly a vol compressing move with a floor in oil. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Uh, Jen, man, you're just the master at this. Appreciate you bringing us along on this education journey because each time you come on, I think we're we're sort of being able to plug into it more. At least I'm being able to put some pieces together and I hope our audience feels that way. Doug and Kenneth, I see your questions. We don't have time for them, but I've copied and duped them and we will get to them um, next time we're lucky enough to have Jem on. So appreciate you putting them in there. We'll get to them, we'll, I promise. Jem, thanks so much. Amazing, amazing stuff. If I hope you guys, if you've bookmarked it and we're lucky enough to see it, um, share it around with our other members and let them know they got to come watch this because it's fantastic stuff. Thanks so much. Stay warm in chilly Chicago. Oh, I appreciate it. Stay warm, everybody. Great being here. I look forward to the next one. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks so much. Thanks. And, and before you guys go, um, I just have a reminder that we are giving away free NFTs for all new members. The pre-mint is open. It opens January 5th. Uh, and it runs to February 1st. To be eligible for the Mint, you have to open a freemium account. So if you're watching on YouTube, you need to get over to realvision.com, open an account. You'll receive an email about your free NFT. So go to realvision.com forward slash free RVNFT and sign up. And we'll have more details about what that's all going to mean coming up. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you same time tomorrow. Take care and good luck out there. Hey, everybody. Today's Real Vision Daily Briefing is sponsored by Engrave, maker of the coldest hardware wallet, Zero, and stainless steel backup graphene. Engrave brings you the highest security in a touchscreen experience to safely manage all your crypto offline. Enjoy a 10% Real Vision discount in engrave.io shop with the code RealVision.